223. And uh, we're dealing with a topic that <laughs> is a very sensitive topic to start with. Um, anytime you deal with money uh, in the church, people start saying, oh boy, here we go. You know, the church is after my money. And uh, But I, I do want to say this. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And I think for a long time, a lot of times, churches have been guilty of misrepresenting, if you will, the truth of Scripture on the topic. Um, We've got to be so careful of that. We have gone out of our way uh, for six months or more now, well, back since August or September. One of the key elements that we have just driven home in the hearts of our people is that the Bible and nothing else is our sole authority. It does not matter what man says. It does not matter what tradition says. If the Bible says it, then it's so. And if it does not say it, then it is not so. Or uh, if man is differing in his teaching from what the Bible teaches, then we have to choose which one is going to be the right one and which one is going to be the wrong one. And we as a church choose, because of the position we hold as Baptists, that whenever it comes down to a decision between God and man, that we always choose God's Word. It is the most important thing. Uh, We get to a topic tonight, and uh, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, and this lesson is very, very well written in the aspect of bringing some scripture to light. There's probably a little bit of a difference in what we're going to teach from what the direction the book takes tonight and I want you to bear with us because I believe that there might be a little bit difference in uh, what the Bible actually says and what is being led uh, to be taught in this chapter so bear with us on that I want to try to give that as a uh, prerequisite or an emphasis on this and that's on the subject of financial stewardship Uh, some people would call it tithing Uh, Some people call it grace giving, and we're going to look at all of that tonight, and uh, bear with us, it probably, (coughs) it really needs to be, uh, to go thoroughly through, it probably needs to be at least a two-week lesson, Um, really to go very thoroughly into it would take even longer than that perhaps, but uh, it's very, very important that our people understand, uh, because I believe that in the day and age that we live, even in our Baptist churches, we have... Uh, mistaught, if you will, or at least misrepresented uh, the topic of giving uh, from a scriptural standpoint. We're going to look at that tonight, uh, if you will. Let's look in our books on page 223 and uh, pray that God will give us grace through this, all right? Anytime you deal with finances, it's always, always, always a sensitive, sensitive subject to people. And yet God gives us grace uh, in this area. So help us Uh, by praying (coughs) that God will allow us to see some things. And can I ask this for you too? Uh, At the onset of this lesson, can we just take a moment and pray and ask God, Lord, show me what your word says. Can we do that and be in agreement towards that? And um, perhaps in your hearts there while you're sitting there uh, getting ready for the lesson, you can... Uh, have that moment and just say, Lord, I just ask that you would show me from your word and uh, I'll be willing and ready to listen to it. One of the most significant areas in life is the area of finances, regardless of whether we have a little or a lot. Finances are a very important thing. Uh, 
Our financial decisions impact our lives every day. God's Word has much to say in the area of finances, and especially about God's provision for His children. In this lesson, we'll see God's ownership and His provision and His instructions on giving and His promises to reward our gifts. And all of that is found in Scripture. And uh, we're going to start off in James chapter number 1 and verse number 17. Somebody looked that one up. We get right into the lesson. God provides everything that we have. Every good gift in our lives comes from where? From the hand of God. All right, so what does James chapter 1 and verse number 17 say? Brother Larry? Okay, so according to Scripture, uh, every good gift that you and I have comes from where? God. So if it comes from God, whose is it? It's God's. Now, He puts it in trust in our hands. We're going to look at that here in a few moments to be stewards. But it's very, very important at the very onset of this that we understand and we know that everything that we have is because God has supplied it. You say, Brother Greg, no, I don't know that that's true. I've worked awful hard to earn what I've got. Okay, well, that's great. Who gave you the health? Who gave you the job? Who, who put you in that position? Okay, so really, you have to say, okay, if he wasn't there giving me these opportunities, and if he hasn't supplied, then I wouldn't have any of this. And so every resource that we have, whether it's a financial resource or a material resource, every resource that we have belongs to God. It's all His. And it's very important that we understand that at the onset. Now, He does entrust it to us as stewards. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. So it's important that we understand that <coughs> three specific truths about our finances. Number one, that God is the owner of it all. God is the owner of it all. It belongs to Him, every bit of it. Uh, I have a nice truck. I'm thankful for the truck. In fact, I got in the truck today, told my kids, I said, I'm sure thankful that we have this truck. I love this truck. God gave us this truck. This is an amazing truck. I love it. And But it's His. It's His. It's not mine. And uh, I, like to, I like to drive it. I'm thankful He's given me stewardship of it. But that truck belongs to Him, not me. And everything that we have belongs to Him. As creator, God is also owner of everything. What we have comes from him. Who has Psalm 24 and verse number 1? Jennifer? Okay, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is God who provides for our what? What does the book say here? It's God who provides for our... Is there a verse of scripture that comes to mind when we think of that? Okay, Philippians chapter number 4, but my God shall supply how many? All your needs. Does it say he might supply it? Perhaps. It says he shall, right? Somebody said one time you can establish your life on the shallbies of the Bible because they shall be, they will happen. My God shall, not might, supply all, not some, of your what? Needs, not wants. According to his riches and glory. How vast are his riches and glory? Can they ever be exhausted? No, he owns it all. 
So if he's able to supply and he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, is there ever going to come a time when we do not have the things that we need? So can we say it this way, that everything that we have is what we need and everything that we don't have is what we don't need? My goodness, if we could ever get a hold of that truth, contentment comes. We finally get to the place in the Christian life where we are anxious for nothing. There's great peace at that point. We lay our heads on the bed with no anxiety because everything that I have in my possession is what I needed. And everything I do not have is what I did not need. And I'll be honest with you, it's nice sometimes to get some things we don't need that we just want. <coughs> but there's great peace in knowing that we have all that we need. That kind of brings some, some comfort, doesn't it? My God shall supply all of your needs. All right? Second truth that we must know at the onset of this, not only does God uh, own it all, not only is he the owner of all, but secondly, we are stewards of his blessings. We are stewards of his blessings. Somebody read Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16. I think I missed that verse. Who's got that one? Miss Florence? Okay, so God provides for all of our needs. Now we are stewards of his blessings. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Who's got that one? Brother Keith? Okay. What is a steward? When we say that we are stewards of what God's given to us, what is a steward? Brother Larry? Okay. Caretaker? Manager? Anybody else? Guardian? Okay. Anybody else? Okay, those are all good answers. Nothing wrong with those answers. But uh, we are to be stewards. And the Bible says here, a steward, or the book says here, a steward is a manager. Strictly speaking, we do not own those resources that are at our disposal. But we are to do something with them, aren't we? We're not to be like the man who got the talent and went and dug a hole in the earth and buried it, are we? What are we? So, so follow me here. God owns everything that we have. And we have been entrusted with those things, not just to hold them for him, but to use them. Can we say that word? Or can we, we'll use the word manage, but we are to be able to use the things that God's given to us. Now, what are we to use them for? That's the next question. What are we to use them for? For God's glory, okay, how do we use them for God's glory? Let's think of the parable of the talent, shall we? The master comes to the first man and gives him five talents and gives the next one uh, three talents and gives the next man one talent. When he comes back, the steward that had the five talents used them and earned five talents more. Did the man that gained those five talents give five talents to his master and then keep the five talents? No. When he used the resources and produced more, 
the production also went to the master. Are we in agreement with this? Follow along with me on it. All right, so a steward is to manage what God has given to him or her. And when we manage that, the proceeds of what we gain in that process also belong to who? Belong to the master, don't they? All right. Three truths that we got to know. Number one, God is owner of all. Okay? Number two, we are stewards of his blessing. Number three, we will give an account of our stewardship. We will, not might, not maybe, we will one day give an account of our stewardship. The way that we, in which we manage God's resources is important because we will give an account to the Lord. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. So who's got that one? Miss Joanne? Okay, so every one of us will stand before God one day and give an account. Now, I am thankful that if you're saved, we don't have to go to the great white throne judgment. That's the judgment where God judges them for their sin and casts them into hell. But we do have to go to the judgment seat of Christ, and there we are judged of what we have done in our bodies, according to the flesh, since we have been saved. And so we will be judged on those things. And the Bible says that every man shall stand and give an account. So we don't come as Keith Heights Baptist Church and all of us huddle together in front of the judge and say, we as a church did this. We stand alone before God. And I have to give an account for what I did. And Brother Larry's got to give an account for what Brother Larry did. And Miss Kim's got to give an account for what Miss Kim did. Brother Keith's got to give an account for what Brother Keith did. And so on. And we can't take peace or comfort in the fact that will everybody else is doing it. It doesn't matter. One day we're going to stand before God by ourselves, and everybody else is not going to be there. And God's going to say, "Did you?" And you're going to say, "Well, everybody else." He said, "I'm not asking about everybody else. I'm asking about you." So we all are going to give a pointed, personal account to the Lord. All right. Um, all three of these truths are seen in a parable. That Jesus told. A parable is a fictional story uh, that is illustrated, a story to illustrate a spiritual truth. As you read the following verses, <clears throat> understand who the various characters and objects in the story represent. So in Luke chapter number 19, verses 12 to 27, I think I'll just read that one myself. Uh, Luke chapter number 19 and verses 12 to 27. We're going to see that the nobleman here is Jesus, the servants are Christians. And a pound is an amount of Roman money, at least several days' wages. So let's take a quick look here in verse number 12 of Luke chapter number 19. He said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return, and he has called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him 
to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained, the, gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, well thou, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise unto him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up uh, that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou not my money to the, into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he sh- uh, hath shall be taken away from him. But those nine, mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And so we find here again just a different account of uh, the parable of the talents or the parable of the pounds, if you will, from the book of Luke. Through this parable, we see that Christ has entrusted us with his resources, but he wants us to use them for him. One day he will return and will call us to give an account of how we managed his blessings. All right, so all of this at this point, Uh, according to the book, we all would be in agreement with. God owns everything. God has entrusted everything that we have. God has entrusted to us. Since it all belongs to him, we are stewards of all of it, not just some of it. Uh, When I'm I'm afraid sometimes when we talk about tithing that we feel like, well, I'm only responsible for the 10% and uh, not responsible for all of it. But the truth is we will give an account for how we were stewards with all of it. Of what God gave us. Would we all be in agreement on that? Okay, he's getting kind of kind of quiet in here. Everybody looks like either you're lost or you're like, well, really, this is uncomfortable. I don't like talking about this. Not sure which. All right, so God's Word instructs us to give. We're going to look at a bunch of these things here in just a few moments. And we're going to look at what the Old Testament had to say about giving. And then we're going to look at what the New Testament says about giving. And we're going to see some differences there. A lot of people try to make them one and the same, but there are some specific differences there. And we want to make sure that we're biblical on this stuff uh, tonight. All right, there are many principles all throughout God's Word regarding making financial decisions, wise financial decisions. We're going to look at a few of these uh, in uh, days three and four of the devotional readings this week. But in this lesson, we will focus primarily on scriptural principles regarding giving to God's work both through direct instruction and the examples of first century Christians, we see three specific ways to give. And I would be in agreement with this uh, at this point. Number one, we are to give regularly. We are to give regularly. And again, we find that by example even in the New Testament. Early in the Bible, God's people recognized the importance of giving a tithe or a tenth of what God had given them back to God. Now, this is where we need to make a division in the teaching here. We're going to teach what tithing was, and we find that in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, uh, the tithing is no longer a lawful thing. It's not something we're bound to. But now it's teaching on grace giving or giving by grace. 
And we're going to see a distinction here in Scripture. And when I was studying for this, um, I don't know about you, but I got pretty excited about this. Um, and we're going to see the distinction here. Let's look at a couple of things here. The example of Abraham. When God blessed Abraham with a great victory, he gave a tithe of the spoils. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about this particular thing. Number one, it was voluntary. It was something that Abraham did. He was not commanded by God to do this. Secondly, it was a vow that he had actually made prior to the battle. And so he was fulfilling a vow that he would give of a tenth of uh, the spoil of the battle. And, but we do have the first example that we can find in Scripture of a tithe being made. Then we find in Genesis chapter number 14 and verse number 20. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead and read Genesis chapter 14 verse 20 because that's dealing with Abraham. Miss Sandy? Okay, so he was doing this as an act of worship to God for the blessing of the spoils of war. Do we all understand that and see that? It's not something God commanded Abraham to do. He just did it willfully. Okay, are we in agreement so far on this? Okay. Um, The promise of Jacob uh, was that uh, Jacob promised God that he would give one-tenth of all that God gave him. And so, again, this was a vow that was made. Now, Genesis chapter 28, verse number 22. Somebody read that one for me. Brother Keith? Okay, so Jacob promises to God one-tenth, doesn't he? So again, we have a vow being made. Again, at this point, it's not law yet. This is something that is very important that we understand. It's not that tithe was not practiced, uh, from some of the things that I have read, there was a practice of giving tribute to uh, rulers and uh, some of the kings uh, or the, the leaders of the cities of the day. When you were under tribute or you wanted to show respect, many times you would do so by giving a gift of some sort. In some cases, they would give a tenth or a tithe. All right? And so this was a way of, of showing gratitude or reverence or worship, if you will. All right, now we have the command of God. God commanded his people in the Old Testament to give a tithe. The tithe is so important uh, that not giving it literally is robbing God, and God promises a direct blessing in proportion to our obedience. Malachi chapter number 3, verses 8 through 10. Somebody read this one for me. Miss Sandy? I have a couple questions real quick on this. Number one, who is this being written to? The Jews, okay, the Israelites. Who had been given the commandment to tithe at this point in history? The Jews, God's children. Why have they been given the commandment to tithe? Prior to this verse, Brother Harold, go ahead. You know where I'm going with it, I think. Okay, that was one reason. Okay, so 
So the, the law to tithe was not given until the institution of the priest and Levite was, was created. In the tabernacle and dealing with the, later on the temple. And it was exclusively for the purpose of caring for the Levites first. And then the Levites were to give a tithe. They were to be used, that tithe was to be used to take care of the uh, priests of Aaron, the, the, from the line of Aaron. And uh, the uh, tithe that was given in that aspect was not for the keeping of the tabernacle or of the temple. The keeping of the tabernacle and the temple were based on offerings that were given voluntarily by the people of God. Moses came to the people when they were building the tabernacle and said, we're getting ready to build this tabernacle. We need you all to bring in the stuff so we can build the tabernacle. And so much stuff was brought because they loved God so much and they wanted this tabernacle with God's presence with them so much, Moses had to come back to the people and say, Stop! We have too much. When in this time period do we ever see a preacher get up in the pulpit and say, Folks, stop giving! <laughs> Way too much! But that was the heartbeat. And notice this. This is what the Bible's teaching. That the giving for the temple or the tabernacle was something that was done voluntarily and was done because of our love for God. You see that? Well, that's amazing. By the way, it's a whole lot easier to be a joyful giver when we give because of our love for God than we give because the preacher gets up and says, by the way, the tithe you have to give. It's the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. We're not held to circumcision. We're not held to the principle of the lawful tithing. But we are held to a principle of grace giving. And we, don't, we don't at all have a problem with the idea in the New Testament of grace giving. We're going to see how actually that's even sometimes harder to live up to because it includes so much more than even just tithing. All right, so let's look at this. Uh, so we have the instruction of the early church. So this is an area of this particular book, that particular statement. He tries to tie Old Testament tithe to the New Testament local church. I don't know that I can make that leap in Scripture. I don't see that tied. What I do see is giving by grace as the Holy Spirit leads us. And we do it out of a heart of love for the Master. Because again, the three truths we talked about at the very beginning still hold true. Who owns it all? Okay, and we're stewards of it. How much of it are we stewards of? All of it. And we will one day give a, an account, won't we, of how our stewardship was. All right, so bear with me. Now, there, was a, there were two other tithes in the Old Testament. I'll just briefly mention them to you. There was a tithe that was to be used and to be partaken of by the person doing the tithe at the Feast of Tabernacles. So you brought your tithe to the Feast of Tabernacles, and then you consumed your own tithe. And so, and it was always to be of the fruit of the ground. It was something that was an agricultural tithe. In fact, you'll find all three of these tithes were agricultural only. There were certain trades and certain people in Scripture that because that wasn't their trade, they didn't tithe. You'll only find agricultural tithing and uh, farming uh, tithing in the Scriptures. You'll find it either of the field or of the flock, one or the other. Uh, in fact, you won't find anywhere in Scripture that Jesus tithed. Because he wasn't a farmer, 
He was a what? By trade. He was a carpenter by trade. He never tithed. Now, he observed the law. He was under the law. And the Bible says that he lived a perfect life, didn't he? And if he disobeyed the law of tithing, then would that make him imperfect as a Savior? Absolutely. So Jesus didn't tithe. Let me ask you something. Did Jesus give? Oh, my, did he give. He was teaching us a principle. And who in the New Testament is our example? Jesus Christ. Could we say that Christ gave way more than the required law of tithe in his life? How much did he give? He's our example. Now that's going to bring us into the New Testament giving. <laughs> you guys thought, boy, no, I don't have to tithe. Oh, man, there's that 10% back until we find out what we're supposed to give. And now it's like, oh, i got to give it all. <laughs> all right, so let's look at this. Uh, so follow with me, okay, because we do, seriously, in our Baptist churches, this, this was actually taught up until about 90 years ago. Uh, this was brought to my attention a while back. I, I've studied a, a lot on it. I went back to people like Spurgeon, Moody, R.A. Torrey, some of these great men. They taught this stuff this way. And it hasn't been until recent history that, for some reason, our Baptist churches have tried to infiltrate, uh, Brother Hill, I guess I could call it almost like the Catholic Church. And I think uh, because they start putting things that are mandatory to the church that are not found in Scripture. Whether you can call them a sacrament or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and for whatever reason, in the last hundred years, and I've been in the good independent fundamental Baptist conferences where they preach on tithing, and boy, it gets a lot of hollering and amening and shouting going on, but there's no Bible for it. It's just not there. I love the way our church does it. We have an offering box. Our church practices grace-giving. Now, I want you to understand this, that the tithe was instituted during the time of the priests and the Levites for the purpose of caring for the priests and Levites. When Christ died on the cross, what happened to the priesthood in the Levitical line as far as their responsibilities? No longer had the responsibilities anyway. They, they stayed around for another hundred years or so trying, but as Christianity grew and they realized I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go through the sacrifices in the Levitical line. Then Christ was our high priest. And so then the grace giving was still for the purpose of, or at that point came, became for the purpose of attending to the needs of the, of the local church body. In fact, in the book of Acts, the Bible says that they had all things in common because if they were poor in the church, the church was responsible to take care of them. And understand, in that day, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, it was not unusual for you to go home and tell mom and dad or aunt and uncle, and the whole family disown you and put you out, and they keep all of your belongings. They keep your house, your bed, your clothing, and you walk out on that street, you don't have a thing. The person you were working for to earn wages, they find out you're a Christian, they fire you, and you won't get work in the city. 
Kind of hard to support a family on that kind of income, isn't it? So the church came together and said, you know what, we'll sell property, we'll take care of this, and here's what the, here's what the New Testament giving became. As the church had need, as those that were widows and those that were in poverty had need, they gave to meet the needs. Sometimes it may be less than 10%, sometimes it may be more than 10%, But the giving now, we do not because we have to, but because we get to. We love Him. We love His house. We love His people. We love the poor. We love the widows. By the way, and I'm just going to throw this out there, Miss Linda Craig's been driving around in a car in the summer heat with no air conditioning. I told the deacons the other day, I said, my heart's hurting for that. I asked her the other day to get a price on what it costs to fix it. And I think God's people ought to come together and say, you know what, we have a widow that's in need. And we give to it. Amen. I, I think that's right. I think that's scriptural. All right, so let's look at some things here that we can agree on in this book. And really that one statement there on page 226 is kind of a key statement that I don't know that we can quite make that leap. But let's look at the rest of this because this we can't agree with. There are three things, or uh, uh, two things here that are given here of how we are to give. Actually, we already talked about one, and that is we're to give regularly. We can agree with that. Secondly, we are to give by grace. That I do not disagree with. That is actually found in Scripture. We are to give by grace. One of the most important and moving examples of giving in Bible is of the Macedonian Christians. The Apostle Paul wrote of their generous sacrifice in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Somebody have that reference handy? Miss Jennifer, go ahead. Verses 1 through 4. Speaking of the church of Macedonia, the church of Philippi, the first church that Paul established in Macedonia. And it said out of their necessity they gave. They gave sacrificially. And it says that they did it with joy. I mean, I'll tell you, when we we teach tithing the way we've been teaching it historically in the last hundred years, it becomes a drudgery, it becomes an obligation to the Christian. We do it because we feel like we are going to be judged and punished if we don't do it. That's never the way God intended for us to give. God intended for us to give joyfully. The Bible says God loveth a what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. We're to give by grace. We're to give to those that maybe don't even deserve it because that's what God did for us. He's our example. So how much do we give? As much as is needed. If the church has a need, we all say, you know what? We're going to give till the need's met. If a widow has a need, we give till the need's met. If an impoverished person, a poor person, and there's been numerous times this church has found out about a need of one of our members, and we've said, folks, we've got a member that has a need. How much do we give? We give till the need's met. 
That's grace giving. Amen? And that's scriptural. That's biblical. When we go to put our tithing envelope, if we call it a tithing envelope, in that box back there, you don't give it out of obligation. You give it out of love for Him. And we're going to read some things about that in just a minute. All right? So we're also to give willingly. We're to give willingly. The biblical giving is not rooted in guilt, but it's rooted in grace. And, and this is amazing to me why he would write all of this in the book and still make the one statement back there because he's right on track on some of this, on almost all of this. There's just a couple statements that we have to be careful of. Biblical giving is not rooted in guilt, but in grace. It is the glad response of the heart who recognizes God's goodness in giving to us. Thus, biblical giving comes from a willing heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Brother Keith? Okay. Okay. Every man as he purposeth in his heart. Now follow me on this. Whatever God puts on our hearts, that's what we're to give. Now, we can read that verse and you can say, well, every man what, what he purposeth in his heart. But we are to be walking in the Spirit, are we not? We're to be walking in such a way that we're not to be drunk with wine, but we're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. We're to be taught by the Spirit in all truth. And so if God puts something upon our hearts to give, we give. I, I, uh, I hate to use personal illustration, but I'm going to give this one illustration. I, about a year and a half ago, uh, I was coming back from breakfast on a Saturday morning. And strongly, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, I was in the truck by myself. Uh, I just had this tremendous... Uh, I guess in hindsight I'd have to call it the leading of the Holy Spirit about a, a friend of mine. And he, he just that quick he came on my heart and on my mind. And literally I was driving up a highway. I just turned coming this direction from, a, from uh, 61, 67 onto a highway. And I was just passing my bank. And God put this person on my heart. And I thought, Lord, what am I supposed to do here? And I thought, I haven't even talked to this guy in over a year. And, uh, and I knew that he had a need. And I don't know how I knew it, but I knew he had a need. And I said, okay, Lord. I said, well, let me, let me go to the bank. I said, how much do you want me to give? And I, I mean, literally, I'm talking to God just like that. And I didn't hear any audible voice. And God didn't give me an amount. He didn't tell me. There's nothing that jumped on my heart that's, hey, this is how much you ought to give. And I said, okay, Lord, if you don't tell me by the time I get to the bank, whatever the maximum amount is I can pull out of the ATM is what it's going to be. And the whole way to the bank, there wasn't anything, any indication there. And I put the card in and told, showed me what the maximum amount was to draw out, and I pulled it out. And I called the guy up. I said, are you home? He said, yep. I said, can I come see you? I went up there, and I sat and talked with him for about an hour. He started sharing with me some of the needs and the problems he was going through. He had a bill due. I'm trying to remember the exact amount, but it was somewhere in the range of about 190 some dollars. I'd pulled $200 out of the bank. 
And I had it tucked in my shirt pocket. He didn't even know it was there. I got ready to leave. He was telling me this need, and he he was crying, and he's got his daughters sitting there. His wife had gone out. In the middle of saying what his need was, he said, Brother Greg, how are you doing? He said, you need some groceries or anything? And I thought, here's this man, can't even pay his own bill, getting ready to give me some groceries if I need them. I got ready to leave, and I said, Brother, I said, I don't know why, but I said, I was on my way home from breakfast this morning. You were on my heart. And God led me to go by the bank, and I pulled it out of my pocket, and almost to the dime, it was what he needed. I hate to use a personal illustration, because I probably just lost a reward in heaven for that, but I wanted to illustrate this. You give what's needed, and as God purposeth on your heart, so give. You say, Brother Greg, I can't afford it. I I don't know where it's going to come from. As God purposeth on your heart, give it. It's grace given. You're not obligated. It's all voluntary. We're not under law anymore. We're under grace. But all oh, the grace that our giving ought to be followed after. God gave it all. So we give it all. It's already ten minutes after eight. Can you all hang on to those thoughts and finish up next week if I let you go? Don't jump ahead of me. Don't be mad at me. Don't be ringing my phone off the hook saying, Brother Greg's teaching we're not supposed to tithe. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're supposed to give according to biblical New Testament principle. Big difference. Big difference. I know a lot of people call it tithing day. You can name it whatever you want to. But the thing is, we don't want to teach it as an obligatory, some, obligatory, some kind of a lawful thing. We're, we're under grace now. We give because of grace. We give because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give until the need is met. Amen? We'll pick up there next week. Otherwise, we'll be here another hour. But it was good, wasn't it? So far? Well, hang on to your seats because next week it gets rough. <laughs> no, it really won't. We're, we're, almost, we're, we're over halfway there, okay? Uh, thank you all for coming out tonight. I know it's a hot summer night. But, uh, boy, isn't it good when we just follow what the Bible says? I, I, I hate that sometimes we have to backtrack and unteach things that have become tradition but are not Scripture and have to kind of reteach it and say, okay, this is what the Bible teaches, though. And, by the way, there's no improving on God's way, is there? So this grace-giving works. In fact, you'll find it worked all through the New Testament in an extraordinary way. And we're going to see a lot of examples of that next week. So let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word, how it teaches, instructs, and guides us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow its truth. Lord, we don't do this very often. There's very few things that we look at and say perhaps we've been mistaken on this a little bit or maybe we've uh, assumed some things that perhaps